crazy how the Lord brings songs to us and we're in need. About three weeks ago, that song, it's an old song that was wrote back in 2010, 2008, somewhere around there. I'd heard it years ago, and uh, about three weeks ago, I heard it again, and the Lord just touched me when I heard it, and I texted Leah because I felt like that was the best for her to sing, and, uh, but it's just really helped me out over the last couple of weeks, and so it's a little abnormal for me this morning. Uh, I've never been in this position. I've never preached a sermon without a senior pastor. Um, I've never, quote unquote, had the pulpit without someone in charge, so to say. And so it's definitely a hard time for me. So just be in prayer for me. I've spent the last two weeks praying over where God would have me to go this morning and uh, spoke to many different pastors that are a lot older and a lot wiser than I am. And they've given me some good advice and some good counsel. And of course, I spoke to God as well. And so just want to see where the Lord leads us this morning. Um, as you see, most of the time you would get a, a notes from me and a slideshow, but just feel like that wasn't necessary this morning. You did get something in your bulletin this morning, uh, and that's going to be for the very end. No matter where we go, we're going to at least end up here. Um, but I want to start out with just a couple of questions and just sort of get us thinking this morning as a church body of, of what's going on. The first question is this, what do I want? Me personally as a pastor, you personally as a church member, what is it that you want? wrote down a couple of things as I was thinking of these questions because me and my wife and my family, we've talked through these questions as we've processed what's been going on. I wrote down, you know, what I want is I want to see Christians reaching and teaching other people. I want to see people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I've got two young kids, and, and I know that God's been working on Brody, and, and he's not even paying attention because he's coloring, which is fine. That's what kids do. Uh, but I know the Lord's going to begin working on him. And when that happens, I want him to be open enough to where that he would accept Jesus. And so as I begin thinking through these things of what I want personally, uh, I begin writing down ministries growing. And we've got tons of ministries, RAs, GAs, Mission Friends, the Tutor Ministry, uh, VK, Vacation Bible School, um, our small groups on Wednesday nights, our Bible studies in here, our women's ministries, um, our, our different Sunday school classes. And I began thinking through those and began praying for them. And I began just thinking to myself, I would want to see those ministries grow. I would want to see God come in and continue to work, continue to see People come to our church, continue to see souls saved, and the baptistry waters behind us stirred. And I began thinking sort of for myself. This is me personally. Maybe you're thinking completely different, and that's okay. But me personally, I began thinking of the next pastor at this church and what God would have him to be, who God would have him to be. I began praying for that person. I don't even know who it is because God just sort of began to impress upon my heart, especially this last week with Mitch not been here. And then I began just praying and saying, God, who is that person? He knows who it is. It's not like he's up in heaven right now trying to figure out, man, I didn't know this was going to happen. Where, who's gonna? He's known from the beginning of the foundation what was going to happen. So this didn't take him by surprise, but at the same time, he is now preparing our hearts and preparing our lives for that next step. 
So as I begin processing that question, what do I want? And I hope that you are now asking yourself, what is it that you want? Pastor Mitch said in his last sermon this past week, he said, you're going to have to ask yourself this question. What do you want? And so we must, as a church, ask ourselves that question. What is it that we want? And as I began thinking of that, the Lord sort of said to me, James, does it really matter what you want? And it really, really hit me hard there. Because I began to think, in the grand scheme of things, does it matter what I want? Does it matter what my wife wants? What is, am I only focusing on what makes me happy? Because, man, I'm happy when I see people get saved and people get baptized. That makes me joyful. I'm happy when I see a new child come to tutoring ministry. I'm happy and joyful when we see our ministries grow and we start new ministries. And I began to think, most of these things that I said, this was hard for me, I began to say those things because it made me happy. And it was hard for me. Because when I asked myself that question, does it matter, it ultimately led me to Colossians chapter 2. And I asked myself this question, what does God want? What does God want for Sulphur Springs Baptist Church? And I began to ponder and I began to search scripture and I, be, I read Second Thessalonians, those first verses, and it says that they were thankful always, that they abounded in charity and they were growing exceedingly and they were patient and they were faithful towards one another. And so as I began studying, I began asking myself, you know what, I, I, I want some things, but what does God want? He ultimately led me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And I was studying Colossians already with our youth on Wednesday night. I hadn't gotten to this point, but I began reading through it. And if you have your copy, we'll stand as we read these seven verses. And then I'll give some introductory statements and we'll see where the time leads us. But Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 says... For I would that you know what great conflict I have for you. So Paul is writing to the church here that he's never met before. He's never met the group of Colossians. And he said, I know the conflict that you have coming up. For the ones at Laodicea and that many that have not even seen my face in the flesh. And he says this to them that their hearts may be comforted, being knit together in love. And unto all riches of full assurance of the understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father of Christ, in whom we had hid all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with the enticing words. For though I be absent in flesh, because he had never met them, yet I am with you in the spirit, joining and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Father, we pray that your blessings upon this scripture as we've read it. Lord, continue to be with me this morning as I say the words that I think you want me to say. I pray, Father, that you'll be with us today. In your name we pray. Amen. As I began reading those scriptures and as I began thinking what God had here, 
one of the very first things that I said that I wanted was that ministries to grow, ministries to prosper. I worked at Chick-fil-A for many years, and the statement came to mind, if we have the church that God would really smile on, because God's going to look down at us, and he's going to smile, or he's going to be happy, or he's going to be displeased, we need to focus on the efforts of quality of ministry rather than the quantity of ministry. God cares about the quality of the ministry rather than the quantity of ministry. A lot of times we can get busy doing stuff. And God says, I'm okay with you doing stuff as long as it's quality. And he wants us to be a quality of believers. And as I worked at Chick-fil-A and I've read every one of Truett Cathy's books, he's a very simple writer. If you want to read after someone very simple, he writes on about an eighth, seventh grade writing level. Very simple man. I remember reading in one of his books, says that he was sitting there at a conference table back in the 90s. Chick-fil-A was starting to grow and starting to become better. And a small chicken company by the name of Boston Market, Boston Chicken is what they used to be referred to, was starting to grow and become faster of a growing chicken company than Chick-fil-A. He said, I remember sitting there at a board conference table and as I sat there with his son was pretty much leading the company at this time, Dan Cathy, he said, we're sitting there and we're talking. And for about two hours, the conversation was, how are we going to get bigger? How are we going to grow bigger? We've got to get bigger. Boston chicken's growing. We've got to grow stronger. We've got to be bigger. He said, for two hours, I sat there and listened. And he said, at the end of that two hours, he was in his 70s at this time this old man at the front of the table, he said, I slammed my fist down on the table. And everyone got quiet. Maybe you've been in a meeting like that where everybody's sort of talking, the boss comes in, says, hey, listen up, and everybody gets quiet. He said, I slammed my fist down on the table, and I stood up, and I looked at everyone in that conference room, and I told them this. He said, I'm sick and tired of listening to people talk about how we can get bigger. If we get better, our customers will demand that we get bigger. He said, we must become better before we ever become bigger. And he said, we have got to focus on everything we possibly can. And if we get better, he said that our customers will demand that we get bigger. Now, Jesus said this, that he will build his church. And we must trust that Jesus will build his church. And if we allow God to take care of how many people we minister to, and we just focus on the efforts of being a biblical community that is seeking to follow Christ with our own heart, eventually we will get bigger if that's our goal. But at first, we must say, am I a biblical community? Our, my friend John came in on Wednesday night and did a great message on the Word of God and what the Word of God means to us. And if we take that and we apply Psalms 19 as he preached that of, and we apply that to ourselves, we will begin to seek Christ through the Bible. So where God has sort of been leading me is sort of four marks through Colossians of a quality church. Four marks of a quality church. And what does a quality church look like? Because Paul is writing to a church he's never met before. He doesn't know the trials and tribulations they're going to go through, but yet he says, I know that you're going to go through great conflict. He'd never met them. He said, the church at Laodicea is going through conflict you're going to go through conflict. And so he began to lay out in this passage 
some things that they need to do to be a quality church. And so we're going to look through verse, mainly verse 2 and verse 7 is where we're going to look at. And the first is this. Are they encouraged in heart? The very first part of verse 2, it says that their hearts may be comforted. That their hearts may be comforted. And in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16, it says, So that we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is renewed day by day. So I want to ask us, are we encouraged by heart? Are you encouraging other people by heart? Where are they at? A lot of times we have to come beside people to encourage those people. If someone's struggling and someone's at the hospital, we have to go to the hospital if we can get in when coronavirus isn't around. Uh, we have to go there and we have to go to them to encourage them. A lot of times people don't come to us and say, hey, Pastor James, can you encourage me? I have to go to the schools. I have to go to lunch with people. I have to take people out so that I can encourage them. I have to meet them where they're at. And so when we look at a way we encourage them, it's, it's sort of where, but also how. By saying something to them. This is very deep today, church. Uh, when we want to encourage someone, the most important way is to actually say something to them. When my wife is struggling, when yesterday her dad went back to Arkansas, and it was emotional because it had been since Thanksgiving since she had seen her dad. It's the second time he's ever came to North Carolina. And he had stayed with us for four days. And when he left, she wasn't like, hey, see you later, dad. My wife's an emotional person. So she began to cry. And then he began to cry. And then he said, I'm going to have to leave because we're just going to be bawling the whole time. So he got in his truck and he left. And for 15, 20 minutes, my wife sat there and just cried because her dad had left. And he's struggling health-wise. And there's some things there that, that we've been praying for him. And I just looked at my wife and I hugged her, but eventually words came out of my mouth to encourage her. I said, hey, he's going to come back. We're going to go see him. But in order for me to have encouraged her, I had to say something to her. Words have to be happened at some point. I wrote this down and in Galatians 6, 1 says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. The greatest joy is laying your burdens down and picking up someone else's burdens. Picking up this six-year-old's burden that is dealing with cancer and that family and being able to take the burdens that you have, even though they're hard, even though they're hard and they're hard to let go of, it's taking your burdens and putting them aside and picking up someone else's burdens and walking alongside of them. That's how we encourage people. The second thing is this, and it's the second part of verse 2. United in love, that their hearts may be comforted, being knit together in love. Are we, we united in love as a body of believers? Is love the central theme? Our mission statement is loving God by loving others. And so if we're going to exemplify our mission statement for our church, are we loving others? First John says it in four different areas. First John 3.14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love 
the brethren. 1 John 3.23 And this is his commandment that we believe in the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another. Beloved, 1 John 4.7 Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 4.11 Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So four ways that we can love one another. The easy way is by just saying I love you. And by using the mouth that God has given you to say I love you. Could be in a text message. Could be on a phone call. I remember, and I've told my wife this, I don't remember my mom and dad telling me I loved me, they loved me until I was in college. She was like, what? How, what, how, did, you, how did you process? I said, those words weren't used freely in my house. When I got to college and I met our pastor, Eric Capace, about 40 times in one day, he told me that he loved me. And he was genuine and sincere about it. And every time he saw me, he said, I love you, man. Every time I talked to him on the phone, he ends the conversation by saying, I love you. And so by being around someone who continually said those words, when I would be on the phone with my mom and dad and I would hang up, I would say the words, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. And now, by saying those phrases, when I talk to my mom and down on the phone, they say it to me before I can say it to them. Because we sometimes have to be the initiators of love. We have to be the ones that ultimately push out by saying that we love them. The second way that we can love one another is by what we do. When I want to show my wife I love her on our anniversary, I, I do things for her. I take her to Ruth Chris Steakhouse. I spend bunches of money on her because I want to show her that she is worth that money and that she is worth those things. And I plan special getaways and we do things together because I want to do things to show her that I love her. Second thing, third thing is by where we stand. Where we stand shows the things that we love. If we stand for something, that means we care about it. If someone's making fun of Brody, I'm going to stand up and defend him because I love him. And so if you don't defend anything, in essence, you are showing that you don't love anything. And so we as believers must stand up for what we believe in because we love it. And then the fourth one, this is a big one for women. There's five love languages. And one of the most important ways to show a woman that you love them is by spending time with them. Quality time. That's my wife's love language. It's not money. It's not gifts. I could buy her a purse from here to the end of eternity and she wouldn't love me any more now than the end of eternity. But if I take 24 hours out of my day and I clear my schedule and I have someone watch the kids and me and her spend 24 hours together, she's going to love me more after that 24 hours than before because I spent time with her. And so when we ask ourselves, are we united in love? Are we spending time with each other? You cannot love people that you don't know. And you cannot know people that you don't spend time with. And so we as a church, if we're going to be united in love, we must know the people. The classic statement that I reworked is, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Okay, I reworked it and said, you can't love people you don't know until you know people. And you can't know people that you don't spend time with. I think I butchered. You can't love people you don't know. And you can't know people you don't spend time with. And so if we're going to be a body of believers that are encouraging one another, we must also be loving one another. The third thing is this, growing in understanding. 
Verses, the last part of verse three, verse two says, their hearts were comforted together, being knit together in love, unto all riches the full assurance of understanding, unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. They were growing in their understanding. Jeremiah 15, 16 says this, your words were found. The Bible was founded. What did they say they did? We ate them up. Jeremiah 15, you can look it up. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became a joy and a delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of my hosts. When's the last time we grew our understanding of this word? Where we took this word and we literally, not take the pages out and feed them to your mouth, but you literally studied over them to where you ate them. Where all day you were chewing on those verses of scripture that you had read. And you began to grow in the understanding of what the word of God says. This is a personal devotion between you and God. Not you and your family, which that is important to have family devotions. This is not a time where you were spending time with a friend. But this is you personally reading God's word. And as John said on Wednesday, and I loved it, he said, we have the ability to communicate God's words to us in any way, shape, and form. Our smartphones have an app. I like using the Bible version app, the YouVersion Bible app, and I have it read to me. I have it programmed to a British man's voice, and so he reads it in a different accent, and so I hear words in a different way, so it makes me think about those words. You can have it read to you in any accent that you want. In a Canadian accent, if that's your flavor. Uh, But find creative ways to fall in love with God's word. I like British accents, so I chose the British accent guy. And so he reads to me in a British accent. It's pretty cool. And so find ways for you to grow in understanding. And then the last thing, verse 7, is where we're going to finish up and conclude. And we're going to go to a couple things there. The last thing is in verse 7. It says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Are you flourishing in your faith? It's good that we should be encouraging others. It's good for us to be united in love, and it's good for us to grow in understanding, but are you personally flourishing in your faith? I'm going to make a statement here. I read it in a book. I don't remember which book I read it in, but I wrote it down after I read this book said this, faith is not part of the Christian life. When I read it, I stopped and I said, what book am I reading? Is this a good book for me to read? Because he just said that faith is not part of the Christian life. So I stopped there and I thought, well, maybe I need to read the whole sentence because taking things out of context is bad. But this is what he said. Faith is not part of the whole Christian life. I'm sorry. Faith is not part of the Christian life. It is the whole thing. The entire part of the Christian life is built on faith. So you can't be partially faithful and expect to be a good Christian. It is the entire part of us is faith. Paul, when he wrote this, I like to think sometimes that me and Paul were kindred spirits. Because when he says things, he says things that are not grammatically correct. And all grammar teachers cringe when I say rooted and built up because it's opposing metaphors. Okay, it's something that I would say, rooted and built up. And people would laugh at me. 
Jessica Mundy would probably call me on Monday and, and make fun of me because I said something that was grammatically wrong or I had done something that was grammatically wrong on a sign or on a paper or something. And so Paul was writing this letter and he used these opposing metaphors to get your attention. Because how can something be rooted and build up at the same time? It's opposing in the thought. And so I began just studying that out because it got my attention. And I began to think of rooted. And what does rooted mean? A tree has roots that go deep down. And you see a, a tornado come by or a hurricane come by, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Florence. And they attack the coast and everything is demolished. But there's a little palm trees just still standing up because their roots have went down so deep that they are still there. So when we think of this in our Christian life, this is something that you don't see. No one ever sees the roots of a tree until that tree has been taken out. Some of the trees over here that were just cleared off our property, I don't know if you noticed that or not, but we are clearing the property here. As they were taking those trees out, some of those roots were coming out. And those are the first time you see those roots. Because until you dig something up, you're never going to see the roots. And so when Paul is saying here, you must be rooted, he is saying this is something that someone will never see in your life. This is your private time where you are saying as a quality church, I must personally be rooted. No one's ever going to see it. The second thing is build up. Now this is what everyone sees. You go down to the beach and you see the high towers of the, of the uh, hotels that are built up extremely high and hurricane force, force four winds will come through and they're still there because they've been built up to the grade of strength where they're not going to fall down. Now this is what everyone sees of us is what we have built up. When we go out in our community, when we go out and we are at work, people see what God has built up in our life, whether that be good or bad what we have built up in our life. And when those tough times hit, they see how that building stands or that building falls. And you see in the news when Puerto Rico gets hit or the Bahamas get hit with a hurricane, the buildings are destroyed because they weren't properly built up. And when the tough times came, they were no longer standing. And so God says to us, you must also be rooted, but you must also be built up. And then he concludes this amazing verse by saying this. You're rooted and you're built up. You're established in the faith as you have been taught. Ready? Abounding therein in thanksgiving. When you're rooted and you're also built up, the thanksgiving side comes out. And you're going to show people that you are thankful for what God has done. There's going to be an outpouring or overflowing of thanksgiving in your life because you were rooted and also built up. So musicians, if you'll come and start playing whenever you get there, in your bulletin this morning, you would have received this little piece of paper. If you didn't get one of these pieces of paper or you didn't get a bulletin, if you would raise your hand. We've got some guys that are around and they're going to bring you one. We've got a couple around here. Uh, if you'll just look for those hands, they'll bring you one. And through the course of studying this and the course of talking to other men, began to get some questions that were asked to me. And I began to be thinking of these questions, and I thought, you know what? We normally would do a traditional invitation where people would come forward and pray. 
The invitation today, I'm going to read each of these eight statements. And beside it, you personally, I want you to write down a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One through ten. To answer for yourself these eight statements. And these are eight statements to say, are you a quality church? I want us to say we are. Personally, my pride wants to say we're the strongest church in town. But these eight questions are going to be very revealing on how strong of a Christian you personally are to build up the body of Christ. So the first question is this. When I am not trusting God, I know it. The Holy Spirit convicts me and I repent and begin afresh. When I am not trusting in God, I know it. The Holy Spirit convicts me and I repent and begin afresh. Where would you rate yourself in that statement? The second thing is this. My faith is growing. We talked about growing when understanding. I can see it. And I have more joy in my faith now than I've ever had before. I know on the back end of a pandemic where we haven't had Sunday school, this has been challenging for us because you have had to personally grow your faith. Number three, I have a growing satisfaction in the value of knowing God. I have a growing satisfaction, not just stagnant, but growing. Number four, I am growing in my understanding of God's word. I'm studying God's word. I'm I'm looking forward to that time, whether it's in the morning, whether it's in the evening, whether it's at night, to get in God's word and growing your understanding. Number five, these get sort of more personal here. When I see the opportunity to express Christ's love, I pray seriously about it and how I can do it. The opportunities that are around us every single day to show God's love. You pray about it and then you ask how you can do it. Number six, and I want you to be honest with these questions. No one's going to see them but you. You're not going to pass these papers in. I can truly say that I love the people in this church. Because when you answer honestly, you're going to be able to use this as a prayer guide. You're going to use this to pray through these things and to say, God, I need to work in this area because I've been honest. Number seven, I look for people who seem to be carrying heavy burdens and I try to encourage them. The last one is the toughest one for me and you can use this in two different ways. You can say it, I've already ministered and encouraged to at least one person today since I came to church. I have already ministered to and encouraged at least one person since I have come to church today. You can use that question every single day of your life. And you can say, by lunchtime, have I encouraged and built someone up? At least one person by lunchtime every day. Because it's 11 o'clock. Normally we would end at 12 o'clock. So ask yourself these questions. Use this guide to say... Am I a quality Christian based on these? Now, this isn't all the questions you can ask. There's hundreds more. But this is something to ask us to say, am I contributing quality to the church? Because remember that opening statement, we must focus our efforts on being quality in ministry rather than quantity of ministry. So in and of ourselves, we must ask ourselves, what is the quality of our church? I've been praying for that. I've been praying for you. 
I use my directory every week and I pray through our directory. I see faces, I see names, and I pray for each of you. And so I want you to challenge yourself by saying, am I going to continue to be a quality church member? Do I want the church to succeed? Do I truly love every person in this church? At times, I don't even love my wife sometimes. So it's hard. I do love her, but there are times where we get in arguments. And you're not going to love the person that you spend all your life with all the time. And so there's times where I have to get before God and confess and ask him to come and help me. And so I know that if the person that God has designed for me to marry and live the rest of my life with, we don't get along all the time. And there's going to be people in this church that you're not going to get along with all the time. So we must ask ourselves and pray and say, God, help us to be a quality church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I hope that something I said today was encouraging to someone. I hope I didn't just ramble. I hope that I used the word of God accurately and that you would help us to become a quality church. That you would help us to become a church that is designed to live for you. Lord, help us as we go through this process. It's going to be tough on all of us. But I know that there's been tougher and you have dealt with those things and that you're going to be there to help us. I'm confident in that, Father. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Reagan, do you want to come up here? Reagan, yesterday, or this past Monday night, I know social distancing, we should not be touching each other, but salvations are important. Um, Monday night, we had our worship night at, Chick, at Chick-fil-A, at Little Caesars. I've got Chick-fil-A on my mind. They're closed on Sunday. A little uh, Kanye drop there. Um, uh, um, little Caesars, and in the parking lot of Little Caesars, we had a worship night. We had about 50 people there. Probably had 25 or 30 from our church there, and we had a great time of worship, and an FCA guy got there and preached, and from what they tell me, Reagan that night went to her mom after the service and said, Mom, I've been struggling with salvation, and I want to ask Jesus to come to my heart, and so that's awesome. So Reagan and the family, if you would come up here, and anyone wants to come by, slobber and spit on her and spread some Coronas all over, that'd be great, Um, and we'll have a time of of welcoming her into the family of the Lord, and uh, we'll set up a baptism here soon. And so at that moment, we're going to be dismissed, and I hope that it was encouraging to you guys today. Y'all dismissed.